Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're continuing with this series on James, and I love this book of James. It's the most practical book in the Bible. And uh, actually, if I were not preaching through a book of the Bible, I can't say I would cover this topic today, but that's the great thing about what's called expository preaching, is you kind of go to the next section of the text and then you, you preach on it. And so you're able to look at the context of the book, who wrote it, why they wrote it, what was going on at the time, what was happening with the individual at the time when they wrote it. And you allow the text to speak to us versus us telling the text what we want it to say. It, it allows us to approach Scripture and say, what does this actually say and what does this mean for me right now? And so we're going to try to do that and we're going to try to bring out the meaning of this passage today with what the Holy Spirit meant. And so uh, this actually, when you, when you teach through a book of the Bible like this, it gives you an opportunity to do what's called proactive preaching. So you can, there's reactive preaching where something happens and so you gotta, you're reacting to it and you've got um, to teach people about, okay, how do we deal with things that, that just happened and now how do we respond to that versus proactive is you put something deep in your heart so that when you come to the situation you're able to handle it properly that's the best way of doing it um, it's much like what my wife and I call in our marriage that you have you, it's important to prepare before you have to repair amen all the married couples say amen all right you got to prepare so you don't have to repair. And so that's what we're doing today we're going to proactively look at some of these things but James is writing to Christians that are scattered because of persecution. But there's something important there. They are Christians that they were Jewish and they accepted Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, which he is and was, and they were fulfilled and they accepted the Messiah that was prophesied. And so here, these believers in Jesus Christ have been persecuted because they now believe in Jesus. And something to remember again is that Jesus, that James was the half-brother of Jesus. In other words, they had the same mama, Mary, but Mary was, or Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit with Mary, and, and he was born the, of the Virgin Mary after Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph have more children, and so that's why I call him a half-brother. But that's important that Jesus was born of Mary. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit, which shows us and helps us understand he was fully man and fully God. He can fully understand how you feel in humanity and what you go through, but also he is fully God, and he can redeem our humanity, and that's what the gospel is all about. And so we're going to look at this, but James was not a believer until after the resurrection of Jesus. James put his trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior after the resurrection. I just want to take a moment before we get into this and just explain some of these pieces a little bit. Imagine James recalling the time that his brother Jesus was saying some crazy stuff. Some, some of the historical writings said that at Jesus' crucifixion, James was so moved, he was felt so guilty, he, he was so burdened that he had not, he had, he had actually ridiculed his brother throughout, throughout the years, that he made a commitment that he would never eat again unto death. 
But the good thing is, is that Jesus rose from the dead three days later and James could eat again. So that was good news for him. But it was after that resurrection that James said, this is the Son of God. But imagine James hearing things like this, that Jesus would, would claim to be the Son of God. He would, claim to, he would say this to, to the Jewish people, if you reject me, you reject God. He would say this to, to the folks and as he ministered, no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Things like I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the gate that everyone has to come through in order to come into the kingdom. I have fulfilled the Old Testament law. As you can imagine, the Jewish culture, as, as Jesus would say these things, they were, it was ab- absolutely received as blasphemy. Because they did not see Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. They, they just saw him as a lunatic. They saw him as a liar. They, they, it, they did not see him as the Lord. And they wanted their Messiah to fit into their box, what they wanted, what could help them. But God had a much greater plan. He just wasn't out to redeem just the Jews. He was out to redeem the whole world through his son, Jesus Christ. So James was around. He witnessed all of this. And no doubt his family suffered ridicule and his family suffered rejection because he was the brother. You're the brother of that crazy man, Jesus. And actually there's other accounts where they actually, they told Jesus, hey, why don't you go on up and reveal yourself at this festival, at this feast. Now's the time. And, and we find in Scripture that there was some friction that actually, if you look into it, there was some friction between Jesus and his brothers. But then you have James. And after the resurrection, he begins to call himself the slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only does James use these words and say these things, he lives them to the end of his life. And he, he gave his life not for breaking a law, not for doing something wrong. This, this, this man, James, who wrote this book, who God inspired him to write this book of James that we're going to be looking at. He, he loved Jesus so much, he declared, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He was the, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and, and, the, and the religious community hated James. But James lived his faith out to the very end, as they took James to the top of the temple, which was hundreds of feet tall. They threw him off of the top of the temple, not because he did something wrong, but, but because he loved Jesus. His fall did not kill him. And so they gathered around him and they stoned him until he died. So the words that are written in this book are not written. They're just not just, when he says, I'm a slave to Jesus Christ, he wasn't just throwing some words around so he can open up his book and and make it look like he's a dedicated person. He meant them with all of his heart. It was the reason why he lived and it was the reason why he died. So these words that we're reading today have great significance. They're not light. They're not just, just some suggestion. These have come from a man who have, who, that committed his life to be a follower of Jesus. And so as God inspired these words to speak to churches 2,000 years ago, he's going to speak to us today. And everybody ready for this? Are you ready to be challenged today? All right. We're going to be talking about the dangers of favoritism. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to James chapter 2, which is really great for you to turn because that way you can make some marks in there. You can go back to them if you'd like to. But before we read it, just to give you a context of this, he's addressing something that is happening in the church. 
The church was starting to allow the ways of the world to influence how they did things in the church. How many know that still happens today? The ideas of the world were rubbing off on the church. The church was favoring the rich above the poor, which is the very thing the world does. I think the motivation is they were favoring those who could do something for them. It's really what was going on. And the world system is to honor and to respect and treat well the people that you can benefit the most from. Because you're, you're out to get something. And guess what? It is still happening today in the church. The church is still showing favoritism towards people so they can get something from them. So let's read in James chapter 2 what's happening in the church that James is writing to. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and, and a poor man, filthy with old clothes, also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit there on the floor at my feet, have you not discriminated? Everyone say discriminated. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And to inherit the kingdom, he promised those who love him. And I want to talk about three truths to help us respond to people the way that God desires. So the first thing I want to look at this is the dangers of that word that we read, discrimination. Some Bible scholars tell us that this this, um, story, James was telling this illustration about the poor and the rich, it was too exact. It It was too much to the point to be something he was just using as an illustration. Many people believe this actually happened in church and James had heard about it. And he, and he was writing them to, to confront them. They listen, you rolled the red carpet out for the rich person, but then you told the poor person to go stand in the back and, and, and get away from us. And in the church, my friends, there is never to be discrimination. That's what James is dealing with. There are many flavors of discrimination. It's just not one way or another. There are many flavors of discrimination. And as we walk through this today, my, my heart and desire is that we would be challenged in areas of discrimination that we hold in our own hearts and we don't even know about it. There is racial discrimination, whether it's white or black or Hispanic or Asian or whatever it may be, that there is a prejudice, there is a discrimination in our hearts against them. There's social discrimination because you don't make the money I make, and so you're not a part of my circle of friends or, or my fellowship. There's sexual discrimination that say that, that women are, are second-class citizens and that God can't do um, with them what he could do with a man, which is not true and a lie. There's educational Discrimination because you don't have a college degree or a master's degree. I won't accept you into my discussion or accept you into my circle of friends. There is age discrimination that you, you discriminate against either older people because, because the older people, they they're just not cool. They're not up to, up to, to the times. And there's the, then there's discrimination against younger people. They're just too young and they just want their music too loud and they just wear weird clothes. It's called discrimination. There's political discrimination. Uh Uh-oh. Whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, 
I can't fellowship with you because you're a Democrat. I can't fellowship with you because you're a Republican. Or maybe the best way to boil this down, you separate the camp, those who watch Fox News and those who watch CNN. (laughs) And I, I hope we all examine our hearts and really give the Word of God a chance to do something in us today. And that word discrimination, in the Greek, it literally means to put your nose up in the air. Really, it goes two different ways. There is is active discrimination with your nose up in the air, then inverted discrimination with your nose turned towards someone else. One is to pander and to reach influential people because of what it might do for you, as we've already talked about. The other neglects and doesn't have anything to do with people who aren't like you, people who are poor, people who don't dress like you or can't do anything for you, so you turn your nose down to them. You discriminate. And the scripture says that there is a danger in discrimination. There's a danger in it. Something we need to understand today, the scripture is very, very loud and clear, is this. We are, which is our first point, we are never less like Christ than when we show favoritism, or you can write discrimination. We're never less like Christ. We never, when we are showing, when we discriminate against one and show favoritism towards another, just so you know, when you show favoritism, you are also showing discrimination against someone else. So we are never less like Christ than than when we show favoritism. The Bible says we are to be like Christ. Verse 1 says that you do not have the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ when you show favoritism. I mean, mean, James is throwing some some right hooks and uppercuts out out of his book. He comes out of the corner in this fight. He doesn't mess around. It is so practical. Out of 100 verses, he gives us 50 commands on how to live your life. And I believe with all of my heart that the Word of God is inspired. It is true. Every word in there is supposed to be there because God inspired it. And it speaks to us today. And when you look at the four Gospels, you see these four eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who watched Jesus, who wrote about Jesus. And you, you find in the book of Luke, you find people having a problem with Jesus not showing favoritism. He says, Luke 20, 21, teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality. So this is the nature of Jesus. There is no partiality. We know you treat all people the same. We know that you're no respecter of persons. And Jesus suffered ridicule because he spent times and and moments with drunkards, with tax collectors that were the lowest of the low in the Jewish community, with prostitutes. And he he, he instilled dignity and hope and love. He let them know that their life wasn't over, that there is hope still left for them. He didn't treat them any different than he did the important religious people. He didn't treat them any different than he did those who could help further his ministry. He treated them all the same. 
They actually criticized Jesus because he was a friend to sinners. How many here are glad that he was a friend to, to sinners? I'm glad, I'm glad he was a friend to this sinner. Where I'd be today, there's no telling. But I'm so glad he was a friend to this sinner. I'm so glad he didn't come to me and, and begin to deal with my heart and put people in my life to, to love me and to take care of me and to, and to show me what it means to receive the grace of God. That he was my friend before I ever deserved being his friend. He was my friend before I ever wanted him to be my friend. Scripture teaches us that discrimination or favoritism is not a part of the nature of Jesus Christ, nor is it to be a part of us if we call ourselves a Christian. Faith and favoritism are completely incompatible. God is telling us through the book of James there is one place that discrimination should not happen, and that is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. One place. It may happen everywhere else. It may happen in your certain circles of, of, uh, of relationships, certain, certain circles of influence, but it's never to happen in the house of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's never to happen and be welcomed in your life if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we don't acknowledge what sin is. It doesn't mean we don't say, I believe you are wrong. It doesn't mean you just welcome all and, just, and everyone's life is okay. You don't really have to make any changes. No, it doesn't mean that. That's not what I'm saying about don't show favoritism. It just means that we see people through the eyes of Jesus instead of through our eyes of discrimination and favoritism. And Jesus came to this earth to reach the whole earth. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He so loved the world, every person, every, every person in this room. God intently sought after you, called you by name, and said, I'm going to reach you, therefore I'm going to send my son Jesus Christ. He's the one. Jesus is the one who established the church. And since he established the church, the church, you and I, listen, this stuff, not, not the church. This building, not the church. You, you the church. You could blow this building up. You could, we could catch on fire tomorrow. And guess what? Faith Bible Chapel still exists because we still exist. We are the church. You don't go the church, go to church. You are the church. You gather with the church. But you're the church. And he says that group of community that gathers together should represent, since Jesus was the one who established us, started us, paid for us by his own blood, we should represent his character and his nature in everything that we do as a church. So, James recognizes there is discrimination in the church. So, what is the solution then to discrimination? James says, he gives the solution. He says it's to look to the God of grace. The God of grace is what is the solution. And let's read James 2, 5 through 7. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? He promised those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. 
Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Meaning, now all through the book of James, he doesn't say to be rich is evil. He doesn't say to have wealth is evil or wrong. What's happened, he's, he's addressing something where wealthy, rich people were using their means to come against those who didn't have much money. And so he's addressing this. And he's saying those who are dragging you through the mud, you, you are honoring them. You're showing favoritism to those who are actually mistreating you in the first place. Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him, meaning Jesus, to whom you belong? This whole idea, if we could just flip one, one, uh, one slide back. My dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor? The whole chosen those who are poor is the answer why you and I are here today. Because God, out of his great love for you, and out of your poor spiritual condition, destined for hell, with no hope, he chose you. And he said, I want you to be in my family. That is called the God of grace. James is letting them know that, that if they're discriminating, if they're showing favoritism, they're not acting like God. They are not representing God in an appropriate way. The God of grace has chosen the poor of the world. He's chosen all kinds of people to be in his family. He's chosen you, and you didn't deserve to be chosen. And in the same way as we didn't deserve to be chosen, we should demonstrate his nature and love those who maybe don't deserve to be loved in our eyes. James is saying if you want to know how the church should act, you should look at God's character. When we practice discrimination, here's the issue. We are misrepresenting the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we, we are not demonstrating. If we call ourselves a Christian, that means how we act and respond should look like Christ. Number two is we are never more like Christ than when we show love and acceptance. Most of us spend our lives drawing circles around us in order to keep other people out. Whether it's you don't exactly believe the way I believe, maybe it's a political thing, rich, poor, affluent, not affluent, White, black. And we spend our lives drawing circles because we think it will protect us. And again, I want you don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that, that you don't protect your family from, from the evils of the world. I'm not saying you don't, you don't make wise decisions. I'm not saying that, that's not, I'm not taking this one passage out of the concept. The whole of Scripture teaches us to protect. We're in the world, not of, of the world. We've got to protect ourselves. But the, 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 the reality is this. We are not to draw circles around us that keep us sterilized from the world. That we can't touch it, we can't reach it, we have no clue what's, what's going on. And we have to understand that Jesus Christ himself, was actively pursuing those who were lost. And many times we make dividing lines in our own lives that the Bible doesn't make, but we make them. If you aren't on my side of the line then, that, that I drew, then I won't have anything to do with you. I, I, am, I am no longer in fellowship with you. In the Old Testament, God only made, he made two distinctions in the Old Testament. Either you're a Jew you're a Gentile. Jews were God's chosen people. Gentiles were not. What a bummer. 
You were in or you were out. There was a wall that separated. Gentiles, actually scripture says they were hostile towards God. Why? Because they weren't Jewish. But in the New Testament, Paul speaks about this wall of hostility being torn down. So again, I'm telling you this to, to help describe to you and explain to you the nature of the God of grace and how we are, can be more like Christ. In the temple, there was an actual wall that separated, that stood, that excluded Gentiles from worshiping God. The historian Josephus says that there were signs and warning signs that said this. Now, how would you like to read this if you were a Gentile? Gentiles, warning, Gentiles must not proceed lest they die. That's, that's a pretty serious wall. So you went to the temple to worship God, but Gentiles could not go in and fully worship God. But then Paul says this. Paul writes this after Jesus' death and resurrection, that the veil was torn from top to bottom that separated people from the holy of holies. It was wide open. That's why it says that we can come boldly to the throne room of grace in Hebrews. But Paul writes this. It was speaking of Jesus in Ephesians 2.14. For he, speaking of Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups. Which two groups? Jew and Gentile. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What he was saying of all those who put their trust in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what, where you're from, doesn't matter if you're Jewish or you're Gentile, now the only determination is that you put your trust in Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. If you do not put your trust in Jesus Christ, whether you're a Jew or you're, or you're a Gentile, your destiny is hell. And so he says this in Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is a unity that happens when you accept Jesus Christ. You become a family with God. There are no longer walls put up. This was the heart this is the nature, this is the character of God. For what I love about this is Paul, he was, the, he was the biggest wall builder of all. If you didn't believe the way that he believed, and which was if you believed that Jesus was the Messiah, he was going to kill you. He used to hunt Christians down, kill them, stone them to death. But then he encountered Jesus on a road and his life was fully changed. And he went from trying to destroy the church, then he went to building the church for the rest of his life. And reaching Gentiles and reaching Jews, he began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only distinction, the only, the only distinction in the New Testament is this, lost or saved. That's it. Either you know Jesus or you need to know Jesus. God loves lost people. And this is the heart of, of the heart of this message for me to you and I believe with James. God loves lost people. He sent his son for them. He died for you and I when we were lost, before we before we we ever existed. He died for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. And he loves the lost people. Yes, we have a relationship with Jesus, but he still loves them. And James is letting them and us know 
When we start drawing lines in church or in our own lives, we are not acting like God. We're not acting like God. I want you to hear this for a moment, and this is really the heart of this whole message. Nothing we do should ever hinder the message of Jesus Christ finding its place into the hearts of the lost. Nothing we do. Nothing we think should cause us to see someone's outside before we see them as a person in need of Jesus Christ. Jesus was our example. God's whole purpose in sending Jesus was to seek and save the lost. The whole purpose of Jesus' coming was not for the well, but he came for those who were sick. I want you to hear this. It's a funny phrase, but I wrote it, and I'm going to tell it to you because I think it's, it's, it's important. You may not think, but I'm going I'm to tell you anyway. We must not allow the lostness of the lost to keep us from reaching the lost. Does that make sense? We must not allow the lostness of the lost to keep us from reaching the lost. James is saying, you, you have a problem. There are dangers of discrimination. He's saying the solution is look to the God of grace and act like God acts. And then he wraps this up and he starts talking about how do we respond after we look to God, after we see the God of grace, then what do we do? And he says that we are to walk in what's called the law of liberty or the law of freedom, depending on your translation. I want to read to you out of James chapter 2, verses 18. Sorry, verses 8, 8 through 13. James says this, if you really keep the royal law, everyone say royal law. Found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the laws as lawbreakers. In other words, favoritism, it, it, it's a sin. And then he goes on to explain how kind of like, like one sin is, is, is if, you, if you are living in one sin, you are guilty of living in sin. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also say you shall not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but, you, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. That's a heavy statement. I think we need a little selah there for a moment, which just means the scriptures stop and think about that. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then it says this, because mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's the beauty of this. James is saying if you show favoritism or discrimination, it's a sin. And you're guilty of sinning. No different than murder or adultery, but the consequences obviously are different. There is a deep, deep consequence of murder, of adultery. 
But the reality, he's just, he's articulating that favoritism, discrimination, is sin. It's a big deal. And I believe it's a big deal, and I'll tell you why. It's because I, I believe when you show favoritism and discrimination, it misrepresents Christ. And it keeps people from receiving Christ because of how we treat them or how we show favoritism to someone else. It makes you feel like either, I'm, oh, I guess I'm in or no, I'm out or... Or if someone walked in our doors and they were seeking and they, they looked around, they thought, I don't look like everybody here. And they realized no one ever paid any attention to them. People, someone ignored them or someone just, just, just pushed them aside. They would, not, they, they would think this, I do not want the God that they're, they're serving because I just felt rejected by him. All this means is this. We are to show mercy to all kinds of people. And we're not to judge them by what we see. We are not to judge people. And I'll explain by not, we're not to judge them by their background. In other words, to think they're not worthy of the gospel. We're not to judge them by their status of life and say they're too far gone for the gospel. Because if we do that, we also could be judged the same way. Number three is this. And if we follow the royal law, it's this. You are never more free than when you obey the royal law. If you really want to be free from judgment, if you really want to be free from self, then follow the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I believe James calls this the royal law because this one, King Jesus gave it. King Jesus said to do this. Number two, it is the king of all laws. Jesus said, you can sum up all the laws in this one law. Number three, we are acting like a child of a king when we obey this royal law. And this is the law that gives liberty. Most people don't think of liberty and laws all in the same hand. Most people think that laws um, restrict us or keep us from really being us or really living our lives, really restrain us. But actually that's not true. Some people think if we lived in a society with no rules or laws, we could really be free. Well, we all know that would not be the case. It'd be the complete opposite. But actually, it's laws that give us our freedom. Us gathering here today and worshiping here today, we have freedom today because we have been granted this freedom by what? By a law. Why is it there anarchy in the streets? It's because we have laws that protect our society from evil people who would want to do that. Many times Christianity is seen as the can't religion because we hear of, well, you can't or you don't do that. And, and that's, that's, that's never what we want to portray as Christianity. That's why as we teach through this book of James and the other teachers here are teaching through it, our filter is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we cannot achieve what James is asking us to do unless we have the gospel of Jesus Christ in us and we have the grace of God helping us. But many people see religion or the Christian religion as the can't religion. And people might even say, well, I'm not a Christian, so I can do whatever I want. Well, that's true. The problem is you want to do the wrong thing. You're right. You can, you can do whatever you want, but here's the deal. You want to do the wrong thing. If you are not in Christ, you are free to do what you want, but you are not free to do what you should do. You are not free to do what you actually want to do, but you are, you're under a strong compulsion to do the things you don't want to do. The Bible calls those not saved. They said that, it says that you're a slave to sin. 
In other words, sin owns you. When you are saved, you still have the temptation of sin, but you do not have to sin. You are not, you are not under strong compulsion to sin. You, you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, you can choose to sin, but you are not under the compulsion to sin. When you don't have Jesus, you don't have a choice. Sin leads you, leads you around like, a, like a, a dog collar and a leash. And you think, well, I just want to do this. No, you don't. You're just being led away by the sin of your flesh. You're being led away that the nature of your heart is still darkened by the evil of Satan. And so you need redemption in your life. But it's this whole idea without Jesus, sin owns you. It's like this, a story of, uh, of the old gold miner. He was up in the mountains and he came down to an old western town back in the day and he came down with a stinky, nasty old mule and he was walking along with his mule and they come into town and a cowboy saw him from a distance and he he told his buddies, watch this. So he walks up to this old, humble gold miner pulling this stinky, nasty mule and he says, hey, gold miner, you ever danced in the streets? The gold miner said, well, I, I don't think I have. And the cowboy pulls out of his, his two revolvers and he starts shooting at the gold miner's feet. And the gold miner's dancing trying to get away from the bullets. And the, the cowboy runs out of bullets. And so he, he reaches down and gets some more bullets. When he looks up, he's looking down the barrel of a double barrel shotgun. And the gold miner says, have you ever wanted to kiss a mule? And the cowboy says, no, but I've always wanted to. My point is this, (laughs) when you place yourself under the law, actually the point is more this, a person without Jesus is under a strong compulsion to do the wrong thing. It's like being shot at with revolvers. You don't want to dance, but you're going to dance. So when you place yourself under the law of Jesus Christ, here's the beauty. You're free from being forced to sin. I don't have to sin. I don't have to give in to temptation. I'm free. Why? Because I'm under the law of Jesus Christ. I no longer belong to myself. I belong to him. Therefore, I am not subject to do whatever my flesh leads me to do. I'm free from it. This is what's called the law of liberty. And so what is the application of this law of liberty, loving your neighbor as yourself? And what's this application for us as a church? For us as a church of Faith Bible Chapel, I'm going to ask you some questions. How open are we to all kinds of people? How open are you to all kinds of people? If someone was seeking Jesus today and came to our church, and they walked in our doors. Do you make people feel welcome here at our church? Or do you make people feel uncomfortable? If someone looks different than, than you, do you, do you keep your distance from them because you, they might rub off on you, you think? Or do you walk up to them and welcome them as Jesus would? Do you shake their hand and say, can I help you find something? Do you need anything? Hi, my name is so-and-so. Good to see you today. If someone is living a sinful life, and you can tell by looking at them, do you write them off? Because you think, 
They're too far gone. Do you allow the external of their lives to keep you from being the messenger of Jesus Christ to them? Do you see a heart that's desperate for Jesus? Or do you see something on the outside that, that doesn't fit within your little box or the circle that you've drew, you've drew around yourself? Or how you want your little church world to be? Does our church feel like a, does our church feel like a country club, club that, that only belongs to those who've been coming here for a long time? Do you see what people are wearing before you see them as one whom Jesus died for? These are some serious questions. These are questions I was asking myself about our church, about, about me. Do you show extra attention and favoritism to those who can do something for you? This is what James is dealing with. This is what James wants the church to not have in it. And actually, it's not James. James is writing from the heart of God to his church. Jesus wants us to live a free life, free from self, free from judgment, that we can walk and walk into church and say, listen, listen, all are welcome here. The message of Jesus is whosoever will, let them come. Come and eat for free. Come and drink for free. Come and taste that the Lord is good. Come and experience God's presence. Now, I know we're a loving church. I'm so proud to be a part of our church. And I know we celebrate the gospel going to all types of people all over the world. But I want to ask you a question. What is the perception of our church in our community? It's a tough question, but I want you to think about it. What is the perception of Faith Bible Chapel in Arvada, Colorado? Not what it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. What is it today? Right now, today. Are we a church known for loving the broken? Loving the hurting? Serving the poor? Are, are we known to, to be serving our community and reflecting the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything that we do? What is the perception of our church in this community that God's planted us here? We are in this community. So if you were to say, fill in the blank, Faith Bible Chapel is that church that, what? What would the community say? Not what we say. What would the community say? And whatever the community fills in the blank with, it may not be, it may not be true, but it is the perception. And therefore, perception many times is greater than reality. Anyone in public relations would tell you that perception is everything. And so, what do we need to do? What is our perception? When you say, I go to Faith Bible Chapel, what do they think? And I would love for us as a church to be known that when you say I'm from Faith Bible Chapel, it means that you are loving, you are accepting, you are full of God's grace. That you believe the gospel should go to every person in the world. That you don't view someone through the eyes of the circle you've drawn. But you view them through the eyes of Jesus Christ to say, did you know that Jesus came to rescue you? Did you know that Jesus came to save you? Did you know that, that Jesus can help your broken marriage? Did you know that, that Jesus can strengthen you in, this, in your addiction? Did you know that we have Celebrate Recovery that helps people work through things in their own life? Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's just not substance abuse. 
Did you know that we have a church service that meets on Sunday? You need to come. Come on in and relax with us. And well, what, what, what do I wear? You wear whatever you want to wear. Just come. Come and eat. Come and drink. If Jesus was standing at the doors of our church and people came in, how would he respond to people that didn't look like him? Like he would say to us, hey, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. Welcome, my good and faithful servant. That's what I desire, he would say to us. But the questions in my own heart are, is that really who we are. God didn't save us just to save us. He saved us to give us a purpose that we could be a part of a family like this beautiful family here, reaching the lost in our community and around the world, demonstrating this is what Jesus looks like. Look, look, look to us. This is what Jesus looks like. Jesus did not put on the greatest fashion show. Jesus, I, 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 he, so you don't have to dress a certain way. You don't have to grow a beard like Pastor John. <laughs> Love you, man. I, I got to throw that in there once in a while. <laughs> we, we all belong. We all are part of the family. Not because of how you look. But because of who lives in your, in your heart. Not because of, of, of the external, but because you've committed to follow Jesus. You can dress however you want. You can look however you want. But we come here because we're seeking after Jesus. And we allow His Word to shape us. His Word to, to, to help us line up with our beliefs. And how we view how we live our lives. How we treat others how we view our finances, how, how, we, how we view about sexuality. How do we deal with all, all of this? How do we deal with family? How do we deal with one another? We use the Word of God, but we all are coming to find the Savior, to drink from the well. That once we drink from it, we can finally be satisfied in our own lives. I want to offer this water to the world. It is my dream that God would somehow use us as a church to transform nations, to transform people groups, to transform refugee camps full of Muslims that find Jesus Christ. To see Jews running to the throne room of grace, finding Jesus Christ before they die and leave this world. To find men and women and poor and hurting. They would find Jesus. That's our only message, my friend. Sow the seed of the gospel to the world. But we must first start with our community. That we will be open to represent who Jesus is. My desire as we look at the book of James, that by the end of it, one, we're going to be uncomfortable, but two, going to take more steps at being the church that God wants us to be. And 
and us being the followers of Jesus that he wants us to be. Amen. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.